Week two of Tyrus and his sharing his gifts with us for worship. And um, I've got to tell you, I'm just overwhelmed. Let's, let's pray. God, we come in this moment to be with you, to be with each other, but to be with you and and to be so so desperate to feel your presence to hear you call our name as we cry out in yours God to hear a word that might encourage us God I pray that in this moment that my words and my the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you and that the work that I have done and that you have done in me up to this point will bring honor and glory to you in some way this moment I pray my Lord and my Savior Amen Amen. It is uh, of course always a, a pleasure to bring you the word and I say that almost every time um, but man, do I get nervous. And, uh, and it's because it's holy work, and, and I don't stand um, with the confidence of knowing that I, I have the answers, but I will tell you I've done the work. And so uh, we're going to come into this moment trusting that God will do His work in me and that something that you may hear uh, will be a blessing to you and that will strengthen you in, in your faith and in, and in your walk. Uh, as uh, Charles had mentioned, Elizabeth is in the mountains right where we left her. Uh, Jill and I were up there this weekend. We came back late last night and wow, what a great weekend we were having. Um, there are about 50 of us up there. And I spent the day yesterday uh, hiking and uh, getting to know each other and playing some games and having uh, dinner last night. And so the weather has been perfect. It was a great weekend to be in the Carolinas or be from the Carolinas. But uh, yeah, they're having worship this morning. And so uh, I would ask you to continue to be prayerful for, uh, for them and their safety upon their return. I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able, as we are accustomed to do for the reading of the lesson. Um, we're finishing up James today. Uh, even though we got cut short by one week because of the hurricane, there was a text that didn't get preached, so there is a little bit of gap. Um, but I'm going all the way to the end. So uh, James chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, I believe it is. It is. And so hear now these words from James, the brother of Jesus. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful, they should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick, they should call for the elders of the church and and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. 
Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So what, before I dive into the text, and especially since it's the, at the end of the book, I think it's really important that we sort of backtrack just a little bit and pay attention to context. It's, uh, it's one of the things that I am learning in my education, and I'm finding more and more valuable as we try to interpret Scripture, and especially as we try to apply it to our own lives in these days. Is, is who's writing, and who are they writing to, and, and what is the point, or what is the purpose? What do they hope to accomplish in their writing? And so, so before we go to the last 15 verses uh, of a book that has five chapters, um, I, I think it's good to know that this is the brother of Jesus, James who was a leader in the church in Jerusalem uh, shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven. James became sort of one of the pillars in the church in Jerusalem. And then at the, uh, at the persecution, the church spread, and so the folks kind of moved out of Jerusalem into this, this area called the Diaspora. It was ten cities outside, and and so James is writing this letter to them. They are believers. This is not really a gospel letter. He's not really preaching salvation through the um, birth, death, and resurrection of Christ so much as he's trying to teach believers how to live in this new way. And so it is more of a letter of practical application with a lot of, lot of instruction, but not commands, but, but just instruction on, on how it is that we can love one another and love the Lord and, and live together. And the main theme throughout the Scripture, this, this book, is, is one of faith. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't count how many times he uses the word faith in this text, but it is a re- recurring theme. And, and he talks about faith that comes, uh, the faith of wisdom that comes from God, God as the source of all wisdom, the testing of our faith through, uh, through suffering, through temptation, to be rich in faith, even when you are poor in material possessions, to ask in faith, not being double-minded, he would say, but to pray and ask knowing the God who loves you will deliver. And the relationship between faith and works. He says, faith without works is dead. And, and so in the past few weeks, uh, Pastor Elizabeth has, has talked about um, the cautions that James um, 
offered in showing partiality to the rich within the context of the church. And encouraged careful listening before speaking, right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Again, in the context of the church. And then last week where she showed us that words matter. And that we should use our words gently in the context of the church so that we don't hurt one another. And so this brings us to this text for today, the text that I just read. And, and James is giving some very specific to instructions to three groups of people. The suffering, the cheerful, and the sick. And so in three different circumstances, he instructs three different responses. Now, for this, the, the cheerful, he simply says to sing songs of praise. And, and, and that's what we do. Praise songs are, hymns are, prayers. Right? We, when we sing in church, when we sing songs of, of praise, and they are prayers, and, and they're prayers of thanksgiving, and, and they're th- prayers of praise and gratitude. And so that's easy because it is the heart that makes you sing. It is the joy that is welling up in you that, that causes you to sing those songs that we hold so dear of, of praise and thanksgiving. But for the suffering, He instructs them to pray. And I find it interesting that He distinguishes between the suffering and the sick. Because for the sick, he instructs them to bring the elders and have the elders pray over them. And so as I'm learning to interrogate the text and ask the text more questions and dig deeper into the text to find the answers to these questions, I would ask James... Why would he distinguish between the suffering versus the sick? Why would he give them two different directions? Why would he not ask the elders to pray over the suffering? Or why would he not ask the sick to pray for themselves as well? And and of course, to, to not be so dualistic, we recognize that it really is both. But the fact that he points it out this way is, I think, worth exploring. And so if we look back in his, te- in his writing to right at the very beginning where he says, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Joy in suffering. Joy in trials. Joy in temptation. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. Again, this is James speaking to faithful people trying to live in community shortly after Jesus' ascension in this way that is different than the rest of the world. And so he says to them, don't fret in your suffering. It has a purpose. And so we want to explore that. So what might that prayer look like in suffering? 
verses in sickness. It would be a prayer for endurance. Lord, help me to endure the circumstances of my suffering so that I may be mature and so that I might see how you might work in me and through me and around me to lift me up and to sustain me that I might persevere. Patience in affliction, the St. Paul, Paul would say. In his writing, he he would say to the Colossians, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from His glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks in suffering with patience. This attitude or or this posture is so contrary to our culture where where we want to avoid suffering at, at all costs. We tend to seek a life absent of suffering. We, we work hard and we save and we spend and we prepare and we plan so that we don't suffer. But that's not what James is saying. James is saying your suffering has a purpose in relation to your faith and, and your spiritual health. And I, and I will tell you that from my own personal experience, and I know from some of yours, because we've shared time together over the years, is I have learned more about my relationship with God and who God is in my suffering than in my good times. And I still see it almost every week when folks come to my office in a crisis where the the life that they have prepared for themselves, hoped for and planned for and worked toward, it's crumbling. And it's crumbling because of circumstances that are out beyond their control, that are out of their control, and and they don't know what to do. And, And that is where I have found that God works best. Because when everything is going well and, and, and our finances are good and our kids are behaving and, and our jobs are going well and you know life is good, we, we tend to allow some space between us and God as if, I got this and I'll check back in with you later. But it is in that brokenness and that suffering where we, as people of faith, draw near to God as God draws near to us. We don't ascribe to the idea that God causes the suffering to to get any kind of a response or to promote a response from us. It's not our theology, but we do find that it can be useful for growing our faith, for deepening our understanding of who God is, for drawing our community together so that we depend on each other to lift one another up. So when things are going well for me and things are not going so well for you, that I can lift you up because there will be a time when you know, the reverse is true. Again, James is writing in the context of a community of faith where we lift each other up knowing that we won't all be in the same circumstances all the time.
Maybe you've experienced that for yourself, but I wonder if you have watched as someone else's faith has matured in the midst of suffering, where they absolutely dug deeper, prayed more, attended worship more frequently, used more God language as they went through that time of trial. So we pray for patience. We pray for strength to endure. But then James's words for the sick are totally different. And in this instance, he gets others involved. And so we have to ask some questions there too. He instructs the elders to be called. And I think it would be a reasonable conclusion at this particular time, which is why I keep talking about context, we're only talking about a few years beyond Jesus' ascension, right? And so before Jesus ascended, He gave the power to forgive sins, to heal, to the disciples. The twelve, or the eleven, And then they gave the power to the elders, leaders of the church, as the church spread beyond Jerusalem. So there's this apostolic succession going on here that is absolutely critical in the early church. And so the elders, the faithful, the righteous, he would go on to say, Those who are living the faith seriously, where their life reflects the life of Christ, where where they see Christ in these elders who have given their call and they've given their life to caring for the people, for laying hands and for healing The further instruction to anoint the sick is something that we see in both the Old and the New Testament and that we still practice today. Oil represents the healing power of God through the Holy Spirit. And we still do that in the tradition of the faith and healing services. And when I visit the sick and especially when it appears that someone's last days are ahead, it is powerful to stand in those holy moments and to anoint a suffering person with oil in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, knowing that it is the work of the Spirit. It is the work that God does through us. And it is at this point in that text that I really want to dig a little deeper, that I want to spend some time sort of teasing out what's going on here based on the context and based on the distinction between the two, suffering versus sickness. Notice what James said in verse 15. Call the elders, have them pray, anoint with oil, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. He's making this this connection to sickness and sin. You may recall a a story over in John's Gospel where the, the disciples ask, Jesus, 
Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be blind? He would be born blind. The sin, right? The sickness of sin. It's there. There's this understanding, right? So when there's the story of, of, of the friends who tore the roof open and lowered the paralytic into Jesus' presence, they wanted him to be healed. They wanted him to walk. And what's the first thing that Jesus says? Your sins are forgiven. And then, of course, he healed him. And, and the answer to the question to the disciples is neither, for it is the, the glory of the Lord that this man is blind. But there is this connection between sin and sickness that is undeniable throughout Scripture. And it appears that perhaps sin is the source of our sickness, our dis-ease, if you will. It has its effects on our soul that can also have effects on our bodies. Sin and healing of the soul are of greater concern to Jesus than our physical bodies. In fact, there's one place where he's talking about temptation and he says if the hand uh, causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter the kingdom maimed than to suffer the fires of hell. More value to the soul, the salvation of the soul than to the physical body. Jesus came to heal and to make us whole, not necessarily to restore our physical health. According to James, health and wholeness come through the forgiveness of sins. One of the early desert fathers wrote that sin is a wound. And confession of sin, a repentance, or confession of sin, repentance, is medicine. Just as there is medicine for the body, there is medicine for the soul, and it is confession, it is repentance. And, and over in the traditional services, now not so much in a con, uh, um, contemporary space, over in the traditional space, we always, almost always, we do a prayer confession every week. It's part of the traditional practice. It is a Methodist tradition. We come, we confess our sin, the pastor reminds us that we are forgiven, and it is not the pastor who is forgiving us, and that's critical. When the pastor says, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiving, he, he is reminding us that we are forgiven, because we may have forgotten that we are forgiven. And it is, that, it is that sickness that has effects on our, our soul. If we look really closely at the text, and, and it may be a bit of a reach, but uh, I'm allowed. J James says, forgiveness of sin is extended prior to the call of confession. Call the elders, lay hands, anoint them, and their sins will be forgiven. Then he says, 
confess your sins to one another. We confess because we are forgiven. And, and, I, and I find that it's a, it's a, a, a bit of a, what is the word I'm looking for? It's escaped me. A bit of a phenomenon for me that we are more willing to confess our sin privately before the God of the creation, the one who made us, the one who has the power to condemn us, than we are a brother or sister in the faith. And I've talked about that this week with others, and I've gotten some good feedback, and of course the answer is, because I don't want them to know what kind of person I really am. So I keep it to myself. It's just between me and God. Of course, God already knows what kind of person you are. But James is saying there's value in confessing to another, to a brother, to a sister, to another person in the faith in the context of the church because it has value to restoring health. We know in some of those, those traditions, some of those... Um, uh, those groups where they simply call it for what it is. They say their name and they say what it is they're struggling with and, and, it, and it lightens the room because it's no more uh, in the dark. The, the sin is now vanquished by the light and the light of Christ and having it out in the open because the fact is when we pray in private, of course God confesses, I mean, uh, uh, forgives us, but it is still hidden in the darkness. Confession is the salve of salvation. It is the medicine that heals us. I've been thinking um, about our unwillingness to confess, uh, in particular as it relates to our unwillingness to go to the doctor. And maybe this is a man thing, but I'm going to confess it anyway. It wasn't that long ago where I woke up one morning and I couldn't raise my arm. And that was kind of it. And uh, it was incredibly painful. And yet I suffered through it for weeks because I wasn't going to go to the doctor. And I know the people around me got sick and tired of hearing about it. Uh, because I couldn't sleep and, and it was hurting and I couldn't move my arm. And I have a brother in Christ uh, that you may know who usually attends this service, but he's not here. But I see him regularly, and he is a doctor. He's not my doctor, but he's a doctor. And he said, why don't you just quit complaining and go see a doctor? <laughs> and so I said, okay, uh, I will. So, so I went to see a sports medicine doctor, and she simply gave me a shot of cortisone. And of course, now it's all better. And I suffered for no reason. And yet, that's what we do. We, we're reluctant to go to the doctor. We're reluctant to, to seek Christ's healing. I mean, we, we call Jesus the great physician all the time. And yet, we're not willing to take the medicine that, that the doctor prescribes for our health and for our wholeness. There is this, there is this sickness of our soul that is sin that Jesus is willing to heal. You remember in some of the texts, someone says, if you will, heal me. And he says, of course I'm willing to heal you. I want to heal you. And so this is the instrument of Jesus' healing, is this uh, confession. Sin will not heal itself. 
So I went on and I asked Dr. Mike this week, I said, so why don't people come to the Dr. Mike? And he said, because they think it will go away. They think it will eventually heal itself. And of course, he said there's a joke among doctors where he says, all bleeding will eventually stop. <laughs> right? So don't come to the doctor. It eventually will be okay one way or another. Right? And so, so we, we don't go to the doctor because we don't want to face the consequences or the, the, uh, the ideas that we're not completely well and we're not completely healthy. Confession is good medicine for the soul. It is why Jesus came. The salvation that Jesus is offering is not this belief system that we've constructed through our doctrines where we get to escape and go to that wonderful place and um, miss all the suffering. Salvation is the healing and wholeness that comes by the forgiveness of sins through confession one to another and to the God who created us. And so I'm going to ask Tyrus if he would to come on up and give us a little bit of music underneath. And I, I, I wouldn't feel it appropriate if we didn't at least pause and, uh, and take time for confession and so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And, and um, in, a, in, in, in silence, I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to work within you. As Psalm 51 says, Search my heart, O God, and reveal those places in me that I may confess them and, and be healed. Let us pause and allow the Spirit to do its work. That you might face those places in the darkness that you are so desperately trying to keep from the light. That you would allow the light of Christ to be shown on them now in this very place.